My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. Then you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. As we come back to our time in God's Word, I want us to once again read the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. It'll be our guiding verse for the year because we're reading through the Bible. And, and I want you to stand up. So go ahead and stand up. And uh, if you're at home, please do so. Uh, I don't have a camera in your room, but please do so because you're in solidarity with everybody else. We're going to read aloud these amazing words. Let's do it together. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Let me pray. Father, thank you for our time. Uh, Your word is precious to us. It's life to us because in it are the life-changing words. And so do the work in us that you've said here in this passage of of teaching, instructing, correcting, getting us back on the path, however you want to do that, so that we're mature, so that we're equipped, so that we're serving in ministry and loving people, so that we stand on a foundation of your word, God, because you've given it to us. It's a gift. It reveals you And it reveals your heart for us. May that be the case today in your name. Amen. Well, go ahead and grab a seat. And I want to tell you a little bit about something that happened over Christmas time. My family went down to California, stay with my in-laws, and I flew down Christmas morning. And there's nobody in the airport Christmas morning. Trust me, I've done that a couple times. And went down. And one of my goals was to help my son with senior portraits. I can't believe my middle son is a senior in high school. And I helped my oldest son. And so we wanted something creative. I said, son, Noah... I know some great places in the city uh, for photography. And so we took him down, me and uh, my brother-in-law and a couple friends. We went to the city, went to the Palace of Fine Arts. Anybody been to the Palace of Fine Arts there? It's just gorgeous. It's just absolutely beautiful. He's, he's, 
He likes suits and tuxedos, so we bought him a tuxedo for his birthday. I know, he's a weird kid, but I love him. And uh, he's into style, which I'm not. And uh, so we got him all dressed up in a tux, and uh, he, wants some, uh, he wanted some red kicks, so we got those for his birthday. And under the Golden Gate Bridge here, this is Fort Point. If you're a Hitchcock fan, you know that, okay? That's, that's where Jimmy Stewart rescued, you know, the gal from the water there. And so, so here's the deal. We went down there, and we went and spent the morning in the city, and the, the sun came out and it was great, and, um, and we just had a good time. We ended up at Fisherman's Wharf, you know, the place I used to go. Uh, it was just, just a great place to go and to have lunch, and we had lunch there, had bread bowls at Bodine's Bread, and, and uh, you know, it's just a great place. Well, on our way back to the car, to the van, um, we're standing there on the corner, and I, I, I looked across, and I saw something, because something was startling. This mother had smacked her daughter and knocked her to the ground, had hit her that hard. Probably an eight to 10 year old girl. And I was just like, everything stops in that moment, you know, because this is emotional. And she grabbed her, she yanked her up by her arm and she stormed down the street, gripping her arm and dragging her daughter. And you know, that's, that's not right. I know we get upset and angry, but we have no right to take it out on somebody else like that, especially an innocent child. Now, I don't know what the girl did, but it doesn't matter what she did. It doesn't matter because nothing deserves that, right? No punishment, right? Deserves that. She drug her down, so we're following along, and I'm watching, and I'm praying. I'm like, I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? Um, I don't want to get arrested for assaulting someone by trying to break this up. I don't know. You know, I'm kind of frozen in fear a little bit because I grew up in a house of fear, a house of violence like that. My dad was very angry. My dad was very abusive. And in some ways, he was an absent father because he just wasn't there emotionally. And so, I mean, I'm flooded with all these emotions as well. She gets to their van, and she throws her daughter against the van and walks off. And the girl's crying. The van's locked. And we're just standing there. What do you do? You know, I'm in, a, <laughs> I'm in San Francisco, a different city. Uh, and, and look down, and the mom's at the corner. She's angry and brooding, and she's not looking. And I'm, we're just, I'm just, I don't know what to do in that moment. Again, because part of me, I'm frozen. I call the police. What, what, what do we do? It's clearly abuse. Mom comes back, gets in the van. They take off. And I think, man, this is not God's will, right? This is not the way life should be. And in my heart, I'm going, how, God, could you allow something like that to happen, Right? I mean, why do you stand by and allow children to be abused like that? Why did you stand by and allow me to be abused like that and worse? Why? You know, the reality is we live in a broken world, a painful world. And the family of origin, the place we grow up, really affects us in life. I did this project uh, for a pastor retreat I led uh, here at Sunrise. And last week, Keith talked about, uh, you know, how he moved and everything. And, and I had done a project for this retreat. And I had sat down with my mom and kind of worked it out in advance and made sure all the details were there. I want to show you this. This, this is uh, how many times I moved uh, when I was a kid. Okay, so if it's yellow, it's Indiana. So I was born in Indiana. And every time there's a little man there on the move, we moved. Okay, to a different house. A lot of times we moved back to Grandma and Grandpa's house. We lived there. And um, if it's in this darker color, it's California. We lived in Gustine, south, down south of Modesto, down in the valley. Hot, hot, hot down the valley in the summer. Uh, down off I-5 there. And, um, and then uh, back and forth. And ultimately, 
to Northern California, to Petaluma, where eventually, when I, we were uh, in 1975, but you see all these times, I, what is that, like 17, 18, 19 times by the time I was 20 years old. I was in 13 different schools by the time I was in 10th grade, and one year I was in three different schools because we moved. Well, why did we move? Well, my dad wasn't in the military. He just had an anger issue, and the skies were always brighter somewhere else. The grass was always greener somewhere else, and, um, you know, as a little kid, a lot of my memories are in the backseat of a car. Because we were traveling across the country from Indiana to California, back and forth. And, and there, there are a couple trips here. There's one to Georgia and Florida. Mom, mom and I can't even remember exactly where and when it was. But the fact is, this, this shaped me. And, and not, not in a good way, okay? It shaped me. Um, my wife and I, we just moved yesterday into our South Hillsboro home. We bought it two years ago, rented it out. And we've lived on the farm for 13 years. That's the longest I've ever lived anywhere without moving. 13 years. Um, because we were always transitory. It was just always in transition, always moving, because something was better. And um, there's a lot of pain in that. There's a lot of brokenness. Didn't develop a lot of friendships. Didn't get involved in sports, because when you're in two or three different schools in a year, you can't do any of that stuff, right? You're constantly on the move. And I was always kind of a, you know, a little bit of an introvert as a kid, and um, so it's just hard to build friendships. Now, thank God that my 20s, and when I went to college in Corbin down in Salem, everything changed for me. And I, I began to grow and change. But it took my 20s. It took a decade for me to understand and figure out and unlearn so many of those things. And God was really gracious. He was really good. But I look back to my life and, and early on I wondered, God, why? You know, why is this? I, that was just normal. I didn't come to Christ until um, 1979. I was saved right here. I was 15 years old, and um, that's when I met Jesus. That's when uh, my mom drug us to church. That was the only drug problem I had was being drugged to church, but um, I had a rebellious heart. I had a broken heart. I had a sinful heart, and yet God saved me, and he, he reached out to me. And I, I don't, I don't want to sound simplistic, but I had a, a moment in my life when I was about 17 years old. We went to a youth conference and at the youth conference, it was at the Oakland Coliseum. Uh, it was massive, maybe like 10,000 people there. And the presenter talked about forgiveness and talked about bitterness. And as he presented it, man, God was speaking to me. And he said, you know, if you, if you hate someone, you know, your parent, mom or dad or whatever, if you actually, actually hate them in your heart for what they've done to you, if you're angry at them, you're bitter at them, it's like you push a button, and it's a timer, and you don't know when the timer's going to go off, but one day it'll go off. It could be 10 years, could be 20 years, but one day that goes off, and you look in the mirror, and you become the person you hated. And that scared me, because I did not like my dad. I wouldn't say I hated him, but I didn't like him at all. I didn't love him. And he said, you got to forgive. And he wrote, read scripture, and, and I, I just made a commitment to forgive. And I forgave, and I forgave, and I forgave. And it was many times a day I forgave because stuff's still coming up. And then when I moved away to college and finally moved to, to Boise to be a youth pastor, it was easier because I wasn't exposed daily. But the fact is, it took a long time for me to truly forgive from my heart. Truly forgive from my heart. And then to begin to pray for my dad. And, and that was part of the process that God used in me to change my heart. So I didn't repeat the sins of my past. So I think we all believe and live with a false premise. 
if we do things well, if we live well, God owes us a good life. It's kind of how we live, right? As long as we do things well, God is going to show up and do something. And yet he doesn't work that way. Why does God allow that stuff to happen? I want to share this as a key idea today. Um, Even in your pain, and I do not want to diminish our pain. I had a lot of it. You have it. I understand that. We could sit down for hours to talk about our pain. But even in your pain, God has good plans for your life. I really believe that. And, and you could be here, you could be online, you could be watching today, it could be a year from now, you know, thank God for the internet. You could be watching 10 years from now in a place around the world and hear this. God loves you. He loves you. And the challenge is, how do we put that together with the pain of our lives? One of the key things that I hear of people who object to God, Christianity, yeah, it starts with the intellectual pushback. But once you really dig deep and you sit down and you have coffee and you hear the story, you discover that that intellectual pushback is mostly a smokescreen for a deep hurt inside. Why did God allow? Why did he? Why didn't he? I mean, you could fill the blank for hours with this. Why did he take someone? Why did it not work out? Why did someone leave me? Why did someone die? Why did someone, why didn't I get this news? Why did it happen this way? Why did someone hurt me? Why, God, did you allow me to hurt someone? Why didn't you wake me up, right? Two by four by the head kind of thing. Why did, why did you let me do all those things, right? We could do that all day long. But what I want to say today and the story we're going to read is that even in your pain, God has a purpose and God has a plan. God has a purpose for every pain. And I don't want to diminish your pain. You could be in intense pain right now. It could be in a broken situation, a broken relationship, broken dreams, all that stuff. But even in that, I believe God wants to show up and work in an amazing way. And I think, I think that at the end of our lives, if we respond, react well to what God is doing or allowing in our lives, we will look back with a new perspective on it. It may not turn out the way we want it, but I believe we will see the heart of God even in our hurt and even in our brokenness. Now, today I have a really hard task ahead of me. I have to fly through like over a dozen chapters. We're going to look at the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. It's a lot of chapters. And so I have to hit the high points. And um, in order to do that, I'm going to do something really, actually, no, you're going to do something really goofy. Um, I'm going to ask you to do something that's just out of character, and, but you're going to do it because I'm going to invite you to do it. I'm going to have you read some words out loud. But in the end, it will make sense, okay? And don't, you don't have to write them all down. I'm going to review them, and it's not going to make a sentence that makes you look stupid or whatever like that. It's not anything like that. I just want you to get the point as I read the verse because I have to cover so much ground, all right? Maybe you've heard the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, read through Genesis. It's a lot of Genesis, actually, the last part of Genesis. And it's, it's pretty key to the whole story of God and everything and what he does with his people. But I want to read this, and uh, I want to kind of flow through the story. And I have to compress and leave out, so apologies for all that. Please read it yourself. And if you're in our daily reading group, we're in the middle of it right now. We're in the middle of this story. So I want you to follow along. First of all, I want to talk about Joseph's pride. Say the word pride for me. Ready? Pride. Okay. All right. Just to test it out. Julie, say the word pride. Thank you very much. Excellent. Good word. And if you're online, hopefully you're saying it too. Pride. I want to think about pride. Joseph is a young man, 17 years old. Let me read this to you. Jacob, his father, 
uh, loved Joseph. Now, if, if you followed through last week, Keith talked about Abraham. Abraham had two sons, uh, Isaac, Esau, and Isaac had two sons. Uh, I, I, I had He had, I'm sorry, J- Abraham had um, Isaac and Ishmael, and then Isaac had Jacob and Esau, and Jacob has 12 sons, okay, and daughters. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. Don't do that, kids, Okay. Don't do that, all right? Don't do that, moms and dads. That's not good, okay? More than any of his other children, because Joseph had been born to him in his old age and from his favorite wife, okay? All right. We'll just leave that one on the table. Okay, so one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, a coat of many colors, uh, something really bright, right? Okay, very unique. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. He doted on him, right? And they all hated it. He was the favorite child. At that point, he's the baby in the family, okay? Later on, another you know, son is born, okay, of that favorite wife. But, but for now, Jake, Joseph is the favored one. They couldn't say a kind word about him. So here's the beginning of Joseph's troubles. He's the good son, all right? Uh, but you, you'll see and you read through the story, and I can't share all of it today, but there's, there's a bit of pride in Joseph's heart. He's just a young man. He's a teenager, and he's, he's, he's the favorite one. And when you create that in a family, you create a lot of dysfunction, right? This is like one of the most dysfunctional families you will read in the whole Testament. I remember years ago, somebody said, we got to go back to the family values of the Bible. I'm like, could you show me those? Because I don't see any of those in the Bible. I see a lot of messed up dysfunctional people like us, okay? And so um, he gave him a richly ornamented robe. But more than that, it was a visual illustration of his brothers all the time and himself of that he had a prime spot. Not a good thing to do to your children. Um, Story goes on. One night, Joseph had a dream. He ends up having two dreams. I'll just show you the first one. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. Oh, that's a great story. It keeps going. His brothers said, wow, that's awesome. No. So you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. He has another dream where even the sun and the moon bow down, meaning mom and dad bow down. Okay. So he had, he had an issue, right? He's a young person, a lot of pride, and, um, you know, in the end, God does some great things through him. So that's the first word, Joseph's pride. His brothers get together and decide to throw him in a pit. Take a look at this. Um, Say the word pit for me. Pit, exactly. Okay, so Joseph gets thrown in the pit. They're going to kill him. Let's throw him in a pit instead, (laughs) which is better, okay, but you're still in a pit. You're in a cistern. You're in a well. Okay, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Dad sent Joseph to check up on the brothers, right? Okay, not a good scenario. Okay, here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, which is a well uh, in in the ground, essentially. Uh, We can tell our Father, a wild animal has eaten him. Dysfunctional family. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Well, I love, I love how these stories develop because it just shows the brokenness from generation to generation. If you ever study Abraham and his sins, Isaac commits the same sins. Jacob, Esau, the same sins. It's visited upon the generations. If we don't come close to God, if we don't repent of our brokenness, we continue that down to our children. And now, All of Jacob's sons are conniving to kill their brother and they think it's okay. 
And then we'll just lie to dad and everything will be okay. We'll just tear up the robe and we'll put some blood on it and say, hey, a wild animal must have eaten him. And that's somehow okay. Well, in the twist of God, Joseph ends up in a palace. Look at this. And I say the word palace. Palace. Now, the first word was pride. The next word was pit. And this word is palace, okay? When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, which is a relative, okay? Ishmael, a relative's family. He was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potter was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph. You're going to see this a lot in this story, this phrase. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Let's keep going. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. It's like he had the Midas touch, this young man. 17 years old, probably 18 maybe, you know, at this point. Just a young man. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. And keep going here. He says, from the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. That's amazing. This slave that he purchased became the ruler of the household just just under Potiphar. That's going to actually happen again in the story. Uh, but, But there's a problem. Because when Joseph was there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. But Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. He said, no, I can't sin against God. My master? How could I do such a thing? He's a young man. I mean, he's, he's 17, 18 years old. Hormones raging, right? Okay, and this, this woman tries to seduce him several times. And one time he comes in and no one's in the house except her. And she grabs him and demands that he sleep with her. And he takes off and runs. And she's holding his garment. He's holding his robe. And she goes to her husband and she lies. And she said, this Hebrew slave tried to rape me. Now, I don't actually think, this is me, okay? I don't know, but I don't think Potiphar really believed him, her. Because he didn't have Joseph killed immediately, Okay? All right, he didn't. But look what happens. He sends him to prison. Um, Say the word prison. Prison. Okay, so he sends him to prison. And he goes to prison. Not death, but to prison. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. But here it is. The Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And it goes on. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Isn't this amazing? Same story. Keeps going on. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Except there's a problem. He's in prison. Okay? All right. More bad stuff. Okay, you got pride in your life, that's a bad thing. Results in you being thrown in the pit. Okay, that's not a good thing. It'd be easy to be angry with God. It'd be easy to be angry with your brothers, right? They hated you, you hate them. That's tit for tat, right? That's how it should work. And then everything is great. He's in a palace for a while. Gets falsely accused because he's living a good moral life. Everybody's prospering because of just the fact that he showed up and God's with him. And he's lied about, thrown into prison. Okay, not a good journey for this young man it keeps getting worse but the lord was with joseph now the overarching theme 
of this story is the providence of God. It's not really about Joseph. It's not really about his brothers. It's not really about Jacob. It's about God. It's about God's faithfulness to his promise and to his plan. It's actually about God's foreknowledge of what is going to happen and his plan of rescuing his people, even though it means taking them through very difficult circumstances. Well, there's a whole lot that happens here I have to skip because Pharaoh has two dreams. Well, in prison, uh, a cupbearer and a baker have dreams, so two dreams. There's two dreams three times through the story. It's great. And um, he accurately predicts the dreams and says this is what it was. That God you know, gave that to him. And he gets released. He gets released because he got, gets forgotten in prison for two years. And Pharaoh has two dreams, and he panics and doesn't know what it is. Let's go on. Now Joseph has power. Say the word power for me. Power. Joseph is elevated to a place of power in Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Because Joseph accurately predicted that the seven fat cows meant there are going to be seven years of incredible prosperity and abundance in Egypt. We're swallowed up by seven skinny cows, which meant that there's going to be a famine. Same thing with wheat, the second dream. And Pharaoh says, here's what's going to, uh, Joseph said, here's what's going to happen. And they go, well, who's wise enough to handle all this? Let's just put Joseph in charge. Amazing. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of this entire land of Egypt. Can you imagine that? He was thrown into a pit in a foreign land, as it were, to an Egyptian. And now he's in the second chair. He's in the second chair. That's amazing. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. You know, more than a decade after his brothers took that robe off of him and ripped it up and lied to their dad, Pharaoh puts a better robe on him, a robe of power, a robe of beauty, a robe that's going to save his people. He says, then he made Joseph, he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for a second in command. Let's keep going. And whenever Joseph went, wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. Gosh. I would imagine, I asked my wife this, do you think Potiphar had to kneel down? (laughs) You think Potiphar's wife had to kneel down? That's kind of interesting twist in the story the Bible doesn't talk about. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. So Joseph's behavior, his godliness in the midst of adversity, the way God prospered him and blessed him, his ability to interpret dreams, to have wisdom, was all a gift of God because God had a plan. Thirteen years before, at this point, his brothers had stripped him of all dignity. And now he's the second highest person in the greatest nation on the planet at this time. He's given a ring. He's given a robe. He's given what basically would be given to a son, a favored son. And he's called the second in command. He's in the second chair. And these unbelieving Egyptians bowed down to him. And his unbelieving brothers refused to. Interesting. Now, they are going to actually bow down to him like the first two dreams, but it's going to take a little bit of time. And after 22 years of him being thrown in that pit, 22 years later, he's reunited with his brothers. An amazing twist, unbelievable story, where they come to buy grain, and there's there's some things going on there, and one gets captured. It's just a phenomenal story. 
And we ultimately discover Joseph's purpose. Look at this. Joseph's purpose. Would you say that word? That's the final one. Purpose. Purpose. Okay. Joseph's purpose. What is it? Well, it's to save his family. His dad dies. Finally gets to see his son again. His brothers all show up. The whole caravan. 70 people show up in Egypt. And his whole purpose is to rescue his family. Now, it does end up in 400 years of slavery. Okay. We'll see that in a couple weeks. But up to that point, everybody would have been dead. And God rescued his people by putting them in an incubator mode in Egypt where they exploded as a people, as a race. His brothers are worried, though. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So can you imagine after all those years, 22 years or so, of fessing up finally to dad? Okay, dad, remember when we had that robe thing and the blood? We've got the real story to tell you. We threw him in a pit and sold him. Slavery. We were going to kill him, though, so it's better, okay? All right, we didn't kill him. We lied to you, though. And for 22 years, you've been in grief over him, brokenhearted over your favorite son. He said, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, interesting, not our God, but the God of our Father, your Father, beg you to forgive our sin. It goes on. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. He weeps a couple times in the story because the emotions are so overwhelming. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Just like that dream 22 years before that God gave him. And they said, look, we are your Slaves. Look what Joseph says. Don't be afraid of me. Here, here's, here's the crux, the apex of the story. This is the point. Am I God that I can punish you? Can I make a comment here, friends? Joseph finally got to sit in the second chair in Egypt. But he never tried to take the first chair, God's chair. He never tried to sit in God's chair. And, you know, we try to do that sometimes. We try to sit in God's chair and dole out punishment, dole out justice. We try to imagine that we are the one that God wants to use to enact vengeance on those that have hurt us. Even though he got to sit in the second chair in Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at the time, he never tried, never tried to sit in the first chair, God's chair. He left that all to God. Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? Here it is, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. The story returns to Joseph and his brothers. And in so doing, it's this verse right here. Go to the next slide. This is the pullout. You intended to harm me. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Now, I'm going to tell you that in two days, it'll be the two-year anniversary of my dad's death. And he died broken and alone. And he didn't have to. And nobody should die like that. But he refused the grace of God. And he refused the opportunity of reconciliation. And, you know, I, I don't know what to do about that. I have my part. 
My mom has her part. My sister has her part. My brother has his part. But my dad has his part. God has his part. And um, I long ago forgave my dad. Long ago. And long ago I realized all of the pain and all the hurt. God's going to do something good out of it. Um, I'm, I'm just a guy. I just, you know, get me, don't get me wrong. I'm just a guy. But I am who I am today because of that. Sunrise Church is who it is today because of the way I was treated growing up. We are a church for the hurting and the broken, a church for the least, the last, and the lost. We welcome the homeless. We welcome the ex-prisoner. We welcome the people that Jesus welcomed. And that all came from my own heart and the people that God brought to Sunrise to build these ministries up. And yeah, my dad meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. But I think it took me forgiving my dad over and over again until I really believed it and felt it for him to do the change in me and to bring me to this position so many people could be saved at Sunrise Church. Now, I don't get to, you know, I don't have a P word for me, but I'm talking about that. Um, for you, because if you look at your life, could you look back and say all of those bad things, maybe you're in the middle of it, maybe it's long ago, could you look back and say, you know, I think God is intending it for good. Here, here's how we sum it up. Look at this right here. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to read these words out loud with me. Pride. Oh, we're going to start over. Okay, so let's do it all at the same time. Sorry about that. Even online, you got to do this. Ready? Here we go. Pride, pit, palace, prison, power, purpose. You might not even forget that. How about that, right? Here's the deal. Our lives don't turn out the way we wish they would. But I believe God is sovereign. He's large and in charge, okay? And he works all things out in a beautiful way for his glory. And I believe our good. Let me remind you of this. Even in our pain, God has good plans for your life. God has a purpose for every pain. The Apostle Paul, many, many, many years later, wrote this amazing passage. He said this in Romans chapter 8. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That doesn't say that all the things that happen in your life are good. Please don't ever say that. It's, they're not good, okay? The death of a loved one is not good. The, the, the rebelliousness of a teenager is not good. The, the things that happen to us that we do, that people do to us, that's not good. But God works all things, all things, everything for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God can create beauty from ashes. He can take your brokenness and he can heal you and he can bring you into the light. We used to say this a lot in our celebrate recovery, our abundant life ministry. The thing that happened to you that broke you, probably as a child or as a teenager, that stunted you, that destroyed a part of you or held you captive, that you've buried so deep because you're filled with shame and hurt that you never want to reveal to anybody. That very thing God wants to dig up and he wants to bring into his healing, loving light and he wants to redeem and he wants to use you to go rescue more people. That is what God does with our hurt and our brokenness if we trust him. 
if we put our lives in his hands, which they are, right? If we yield to him, even in brokenness. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that abuse is good. I'm not saying that all the stuff happened to me was good. It was not good. It was not good. In fact, as I look back on my life, I don't know why my dad wasn't in prison because of that. He was in prison later, but I don't know why he wasn't in prison because of the things that happened. Because today, that would happen. But all I know is this, that I can look back and say, God, even though that hurt in deep ways, that helped me become the person I am today. And I thank you for that. I don't thank you for the things that happened, but I thank you for your plan. Well, to wrap it up and to close, I just got a minute. You can read the story of Joseph on three levels and three layers. And they're all good. The first layer, the first level is from a secular perspective. A lot of books have been written. A lot of stories have been written about this amazing rags to riches scenario, right? It's a lot. It's it's beautiful. I mean, people have written books. Secular people have talked about this. I mean, it's a great story, right? It's a favored son, a doting father, you know, jealous brothers, conniving wife, international food crisis. You could even make a Broadway play about an amazing Technicolor dream coat if you would, right? That's a good idea. We should do that, okay? The second way you can read the story, though, is how I read it as a follower of Christ. It's a true story. It happened embedded in time and space. God had a purpose for it. And the purpose was to reveal his sovereignty in the midst of a crazy set of circumstances, right? But that God actually prospered this young man no matter how bad it got. God is sovereign. God is large and in charge and he will work his will in his way even though it means that there's some hardness. God always keeps his promises. There's a third way to read the story too. In fact, Joseph is one of the largest, we call types of Christ in the Old Testament. There are over 50 examples in the life of Joseph that mirror the life of Jesus. In many ways, Jesus is a greater Joseph. That in the Old Testament, this life of Joseph is experienced and later the life of Jesus is experienced. The same kind of brokenness, the same kind of deception, the same kind of hatred, but the same kind of working out of a plan that God elevated Jesus up to the highest place. But it took a cross. It took him dying for our sins. It took him submitting himself to God the Father's will to save many people. Myself, you, right? And so what would you do about this? Number one, I think you could open your hands up and you could say, God, this is my hurt and pain. Would you make something beautiful out of it? Help me see that. Help me forgive. Help me not to try to sit in the first chair, your chair, and dole out my kind of justice. That's not helpful. And secondly, help me see Jesus because he experienced all the pain and brokenness that I've experienced. The betrayal, the hatred, he experienced all of it. He was killed for me. Help me see Jesus even in my pain because he knows all that I've gone through. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for the story of Joseph because in many ways, it parallels our lives. Not in Egypt and not with all the big stuff. We don't get a ring and a robe and all that stuff. But man, there's a big story going on that you want to create in our lives. There's a big story of you and your goodness and graciousness in the midst of the brokenness and sinfulness of the world and the abuse and the hurt and the pain. 
And God, if we can hold on and see you through all of it. God, if we're here and we're experiencing it, Lord, man, you do not want that brokenness and pain. You do not want that abuse. You do not want those things to happen. Maybe somebody needs to cry out for help that we as elders can come alongside. Maybe we can help with this. Maybe the brokenness is years ago and maybe we can help by praying and offering up an opportunity for people to let go of the hurt and the pain and embrace your forgiveness, which will take a long time, but could still bring a beautiful thing in our lives and in others' lives. And maybe we can see Jesus and maybe we know that Jesus sees us. And when we're hurt, when we're broken, when people have abused us, you know Jesus what we feel, what we've gone through. You've gone through to the very end and you never, ever sinned. But you saved us because of your love and grace. And we pray this in your name, amen.